You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. It seems like ultra-thin models are everywhere you look. Does this contribute to today's epidemic of eating disorders? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is author Leslie Goldman, the author of Locker Room Diaries, The Naked Truth About Women, Body Image, and Reimagining the Perfect Body. Welcome. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Gosh, it's my pleasure. This is a a subject that many of us uh, really don't think about. What is the role of the media in the eating disorders epidemic? Well, I think that a lot of people definitely say, oh, it's the media. And I think that uh, the media does play a role. There are pictures and images of women everywhere we look, women and men, with these bodies, with the six-packs and the amazing breasts and the sculpted thighs and the perfect tushes. And it's really, really hard to just page through a magazine and ignore all these images. And even someone like myself who knows you know, the airbrushing that goes on and has seen the exercises, um, the befores and afters, even I will admit that I, I still can look at a magazine and say, oh, wow, you know, how does she get that, that butt? It's still very hard. And, you know, when I was researching my book, I interviewed a, young, a group of young women, high school freshmen and sophomores, and they had no idea what airbrushing was. These are street-savvy Chicago teenagers, and I had to be the one that explained to them that cellulite can be wiped away and scars and acne and that cleavage can be shaded in and six-packs can be shaded in. And these are women who, um, you know, they, they read the, the uh, celebrity weeklies and they see Jessica Alba and Jessica Simpson and Jessica Biel and, who have wildly different bi- body types, but they want to be like all of them and they don't understand that well, yes, these, these ladies have great figures and are working out hours a day. They also have the assistance of digital imaging. Yeah, I, you know, I remember several years ago, oh gosh, 20-some years ago, I, I saw Christy Brinkley in an elevator. And, you know, no doubt she's a beautiful, beautiful woman. But in person, I, you know, she, she looked pretty ordinary, actually. And I was just shocked that, wow, you know, she really does look a heck of a lot better on the magazine cover than she does in person. And, and not that she was bad, mind you, but, I, you know, I think most people really don't think about that, and it's certainly, as you mentioned, younger younger girls especially. Right, and, and when I go, and I, w- I just finished a college tour with the book, and I would be speaking in front of these women, um, and I had these before and after slides of different models uh, before and after the help of airbrushing, and I show it to them, and their reaction is just so I, I really love it because I'll, I'll show them a few and then I'll say, do you want to see some more? And to have a thousand women scream back, yes, is so great because it's like, oh, finally, they understand, they're getting it. They have tangible proof that they're being, they've been lied to for so many years and they want to see more and more because it makes them realize, wow, I don't need to look like this picture because this, this doesn't even exist. This, it's just a facade. You know, even just, and it can be even something as simple as 
um, taking the wrinkles out of a hand, you know, a ve- like a vein out of the hand of a model or um, some crinkles around the eye or a few stray hairs or a tiny zit on the face or a little bit of um, wrinkling in the armpit. Uh, and all those things add up to make someone look, you know, quote-unquote, perfect. How about men's perception of their own bodies via the media's eyes? Yes, I think that men do feel the stress uh, of having to attain the the images that they see on the cover of men's magazines, the eight-packs, the 12-packs, the sculpted muscles. It's called, um, instead of anorexia, it's called bigorexia. Also, there's a growing number of men who have eating disorders like anorexia, um, I just also read a study showing that uh, gay men are more prone to eating disorders. And also binge eating. We can't um, let this go without talking about binge eating disorder, which affects men and women uh, equally. And uh, there was a huge study that just came out of Harvard showing that binge eating disorder is actually the most prevalent eating disorder, more prevalent than anorexia and bulimia combined. So that's a huge issue for for people, and that's definitely um, impacting, you know, both genders. So I think that men feel the pressure too, but there's also kind of this societal acceptance of, oh, men can get away with uh, the wrinkle, some of the wrinkles. You know, George Clooney looks handsome with the gray hair and the wrinkles, but if a woman has gray hair and wrinkles, then she's kind of considered old. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is author and eating disorders expert, Leslie Goldman. So, Leslie, we've talked about the role of the media. How about um, other contributions towards the development of eating disorders? What else, what else is part of this? Um, I think that in addition to the media and some of the things we've talked about, I think that when it comes to factors contributing to eating disorders, you have to take into account genetics. I once heard uh, an eating disorder expert say that society loads the gun, genetics pulls the trigger. Because many, many women are exposed to the same environmental factors like the media and things like that, but not all of us develop eating disorders. There is definitely a strong genetic component that is involved. So women who are who might be concerned or uh, maybe doctors who want to be proactive and talk to their patients might want to look and see, is there a history of anorexia or bulimia or or obesity in the family or even mental illness in general, depression, anxiety, because eating disorders are a psychiatric disease with an extremely high fatality rate, I believe amongst the the highest of, of all psychiatric illnesses. So genetics is definitely something to to um, consider. Uh, family, the family plays a role. You know, did the daughter or son grow up in a family that was enmeshment? A lot of times that can be um, a contributing factor. What role did food play in the family? Was food used to celebrate and to mourn and to, uh, you know, pacify? And so that can be another thing. So who's at most risk for developing an eating disorder? First of all, I think we should make sure that we're broadening this out to 
distorted body image because it's just as bad to have, you know, young women going around saying, I hate my body or skipping uh, a meal a day or making themselves throw up once a week. So even though they're not, you know, uh, suffering from a clinical eating disorder, they're still feeling horrible about themselves and doing very unhealthy things um, or if they're working out excessively, things like that. But um, as for who is most at risk, you know, I, I think there used to be this belief that it was kind of the, well, basically like like me, the um, oldest child, white, middle to upper class, but it's it's changing. It's it's women of all backgrounds. It's women of all races and ethnicities. It's women of all socioeconomic um, upbringings. It's women of all ages. I remember when Desperate Housewives first came on um, television, there was a, a big to-do in the media about how women in their late 30s and early 40s were developing eating disorders, and it was because they felt like they had to look like the housewives on Desperate Housewives and things like that. So it's really, I think the question is, who isn't at risk? Because that, that answer is no one. So, so what do you think we can do as a society to help both women and men um, deal with these body image issues? Well, you know, society is, is doing some good things. Uh, there's some good stuff going on right now. I mean, you've got things like the Dove campaign. Um, they've got some really good things going on with some videos that show a, a normal-looking woman being transformed into an Amazon, a Glamazon on uh, a billboard. <laughs> Those are fantastic. They're fantastic, and they're so good to show young girls, show your 10, 10-year-old daughter, your 11-year-old daughter, so she can see, wow, this is what happens. There's, you know, the changes going on in the fashion world with not allowing women of exceedingly low BMIs to strut on the catwalk. Although some women might say that you're being sizist, uh, some people might say you're being sizist because there are women that are naturally extremely, extremely thin. But, you know, there, there's definitely some movement going on. But it's going to take a, a mass effort, I think, in order to make a change. I think it, it starts a lot of things at home, you know, um, not allowing certain magazines or certain television shows that portray women in a certain light in, in the house, or men as well, you know, making sure that you praise young women for things other than their bodies instead of saying, oh, you look so pretty today. How about that was a really kind thing that you just did or, you know, great job on your math test or things like that instead of always putting the focus on looks and just really reaching within our own selves to focus on what we have on the inside instead of always putting so much emphasis on the outside. Uh, I know it sounds a bit cliche, but it's, it's really what, we, what all of us need to try and do. I still try and do it. I mean, it's really the only way to, to, to beat this beast. So you used a word I'm not familiar with, and that was sizist. Sizist, just like racist or elitist, you know, sizist when you are... Um, you know, being judgmental against judgmental um, against a group of people because of their size. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I hadn't heard of that one. So how, you know, as a physician, one of the things that I struggle with is, is currently there is an epidemic of obesity in this country as well. So, so we have kind of both ends of the spectrum here. We have uh, obesity and we have people dying to be thin, literally. Uh, how can we 
how can we split the middle here? <laughs> no, you're absolutely correct. I mean, obesity is skyrocketing. And then at the, on the other end of the spectrum, like you mentioned, we've got eating disorders like anorexia and bulimia increasing. And what I think is, first of all, it's important to realize they're both, they're all eating disorders. And they're all um, cases of using food to numb emotional symptoms. You know, food is a, as a coping mechanism. And so... It's, it's interesting. I get, I get asked that question a lot. Um, so, you know, but the thing is, when someone is obese, it's much easier to spot and identify that person than it is when someone who is maybe anorexic and wearing really bulky sweaters or someone who's bulimic or an exercise bulimic and working out all the time, and you might not be able to tell. So it's definitely, I mean, the, the number of, of people who are obese far outweighs the number of uh, people who have eating disorders like anorexia, but there's still, it's nonetheless, you still have, we still need to pay attention. I want to thank our guest today, medical writer Leslie Goldman. We have been discussing eating disorders. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.